This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very interesting discussion about imagery training to improve motivation and adherence to physical activity. And we have a great guest for this episode. He is a chartered psychologist and has done his PhD at the University of Plymouth in UK. He is the founding partner of Imagery Coaching, company that measures and trains imagery ability. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Jonathan Rhodes. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, nice to nice to have you. So should we start with your story? Would you like to tell? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my background is primarily in sport. I got involved in sport many moons ago, probably about 15 years ago, working in fairly... Uh, As you, as you start in any sport, you, you start at the bottom and work your way up. And I was fortunate to get a few good breaks early on um, in sport, which led me to work with a few very good uh, athletes. So a few um, world-class athletes, Olympians, etc. Uh, and learning along the way what it what it takes to be at that level. And trying my hardest to also educate those who aren't at that level as well to be more consistent in what they're doing. So my journey started, yeah, as I say, quite a few years ago, um, and now more so working across the board. So I work uh, in healthcare, I work in uh, with with the military, I work with um, public, looking at ways to measure and then train imagery ability, with the aim to get people to be more motivated and to support them to try and achieve goals and actually set new goals afterwards as well. So that's kind of been the journey. And then imagery coaching, the organization uh, was set up a couple of years ago uh, with Joe Grover, who's over in the States, he's in Miami. And we were on a mission to work with individuals with the belief that we we know we can support people to um, to find their purpose, to find meaning in what they're doing, and also to achieve goals. So again, that's now expanded our work from sport now into more business. We work with rather large companies. Um, so KPMG uh, is one that we work with, for example, uh, IBM. We work with organizations which, um, you know, who, who want to become more consistent um, to, to yeah, to perform. But again, nowadays, that's quite holistic. So performance is well-being. It's about balance, um, about trying to decrease burnout, thinking about really opportunities for people to find their passion and to really re-spark passion and to become more motivated along the way to to not just support themselves, but also to look at the bigger picture as well and support others around them as well. So that's kind of been our journey. And now we're and now we're in the latter stages of writing a book as well. So we're we are we are on that kind of home straight. So it's been a real journey, Ollie, to to get to get here now. And and were you working as a practitioner before you started the PhD, or which way did did the ideas go and the motivation? Yeah, it's always a weird way around. I think everyone does it in a very different, rounded way to 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 become a psychologist. 
from my background, I was I'm always a passionate researcher, so I've been researching for quite a few years with teams. Usually in sport, if you work with a top sport uh, or team, they don't want you to publish any data because it's obviously all very confidential. Um, but it's always been my aim to try and disseminate what I've done in a research in the research field and to try and make it more user friendly. Because of course we know that you know we we we, we write academic journals, but not many people read academic journals. So, so the, the aim is to then disseminate that to an audience that can say, hey, we can use a few of these ideas and really um, you know, see that impact uh, over time as well. So, and, and again, in behavior change, which is where I'm currently working, it's tricky. It's a messy area to work in, um, but you know, through, through a lot of hard work and perseverance, um, you're starting out as a, as a practitioner um, exploring ways that things may work and also things may not work. Um, I was able to then come up with some ideas around using imagery to enhance performance um, and then had, had a couple of very good supervisors uh, along my journey to, to support me as well. Um, and then my PhD, I, I did that part-time, but finished it pretty quickly. I was very lucky to have um, the participants to to do research with. And, uh, and yeah, so I've, I've been quite lucky along the way just to, network and and through a lot of serendipity as well a lot of things just networks that have just come off um and, and of course with research you know you might do the, the, the best project that you think is amazing and actually you don't find a great deal so again it's a lot of learning along the way um problem solving and also networking with people who are very good at what they do so that's kind of been my journey is really um uh sharing information stealing information sometimes um, borrowing information, um, cross-pollinating ideas, and then, um, and then, yeah, with 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 the aim to research and outputs of, you know, of, of of what it all means, and also we're now working a lot more in climate change as well with with governments and all sorts of people, um, because it really matters, and what we're doing also we're seeing huge benefits across the board. And and maybe about this that you did your PhD part time, I did also mine. And and maybe there is health and fitness professionals who are maybe thinking of doing a PhD and probably part-time. What would you say about the experience? What would you like to say to people who are considering it? Yeah, I mean, the usual the usual obstacle people per- perceive is that um, is that they're not very good at stats. And people generally, especially in that kind of more um, activity-based area or domain, People generally assume that there's going to be, which there, which there generally is, but there are always people to support you with stats. But um, I came from a background of um, of a lot of applied work, and then I went into my PhD. So I had a few years under my belt first before I even thought about what I wanted to specialize in, and that was the real. Um, I think that's that's the real important part is to is to actually you know if you finish your your your, your degrees um, and then have some new time to figure out what you want to specialize in before you then rush into a certain area and I've been very lucky to have that kind of thinking space uh, and again you know l- lucky to be working with people who are very good at what they do sharing ideas and uh, and yeah that's that's kind of how I got into it but I'd also say that time management with a part-time PhD um, you know it, it it worked out really well for me I, I could never do a full-time a, a full-time PhD because I'm not that way inclined to um, to just focus on that one thing. I, I like to spin plates, so it worked out quite well for me. But I would definitely say, if you're keen to 
um, do a PhD, or if you have a research interest, um, dive in. Absolutely dive in. Find, find people who are going to add value to what your area is. So whatever you're reading, find those people. Hopefully they'll supervise you um, and 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 go all in um, to an extent as well. So that's kind of what I did. Still spinning plates, of course, with with consultancy, but then um, it worked out well because I was I was working in an industry um, and kind of taking the data as well from those individuals who I was working with, being able to use it as more of a research base, and then you know and then getting support with statistics and and you know that's that's the main bit of advice I'd say is. You know, is 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 um, for a holistic researcher, the stats part is really important. But you will get help along the way, so don't be don't be put off by it. And and how did you do the practicalities? Did you did you take certain times off fully for PhD? Did you work weekends, nights, or how how did you do it? Yeah, so it was a real mixture. Um, I, I had about um, in my kind of four years of doing it, I had. Uh, yeah, a couple of months off in the year to go and collect data. So I would, I would, I'm very good at kind of time managing uh, and looking at um, availability of like going going to competitions or going to events and trying to put as much in as possible. And so I would say to myself, well, I'm going to go to, so I'm based in Plymouth, but I'm going to go to London. What else is around? What will I, you know, what who will I pass along the way on my route? Um, you know, so I would, I would absolutely get those connections and then. My my kind of my my two months were very much streamlined around collecting data, but yeah, fortunately for me, uh, because I was working in industry as well, I had exposure to a lot of good athletes, a lot of good um, practitioners um, along the way. So people who were you know fantastic physiotherapists, um, occupational therapists, good psychology, fantastic uh, psychologists to work from and learn from as well, um, and then of course. The, the athlete side of the client side, I was very lucky to have those guys as well. Uh, almost, not quite, but almost on tap. So yeah, we're very, you know, very fortunate. Are you a medical doctor, physical therapist, personal trainer, or someone else helping individuals in making a change towards a healthier, better life? Imagine a behavior change tool designed for professionals like you to help your clients achieve better results and at the same time provide you with more income. Fibian is that tool. It offers an evidence-based way for health and wellness professionals to extend their services into coaching. The only thing your client needs to do is put a tiny Fibian device into their pocket for a week. The device collects subjective physical activity data from your client. Fibian helps you to educate and coach your clients through this change towards a more active and healthy life. Strengthen your expert status. Distinguish yourself from the competition. Order Fibian now at Fibian.com. And and how, how much was there overlap between your practitioner work and your PhD, how much did they benefit each other? Hugely, yeah. For me, it was I would say uh, um, the overlap was massive. Um, maybe kind of more 70 percent of overlap. So I wasn't having to go out and find new clients as such or new or participants to research with. So um, so yeah, I was really fortunate to do that. But again, for anyone thinking about starting doing a PhD, um, connections are really key. So just, you know, whatever you can do in your first year to build those connections, you know, usually that first year is lit review kind of stuff where you, where you analyze, you know, what, uh, 
um, you know, various journals and you're analyzing, you know, various content. So in that year, build connections. And then in year two, that's when I would then try to go out and, and explore that um, data collection and year three for me as well. So that's kind of how I worked it. Um, but it was, it was a lot of early mornings, late evenings. You know, I think it's the same for everyone, Ollie, with doing PhDs. You know, you, you start it thinking, it's going to be okay, I can manage it. And you get to a point where you think, why the heck am I doing this? Like, this is this is taking up all my headspace. And then you kind of, you you come out of the trenches and you think, well, actually, you know, I, I can see light finally. So, um, so yeah, again, if you're thinking of doing it or if you're doing a PhD, um, there is light. <laughs> That is true. So, so if we talk a little bit about your PhD and and so what kind of studies you had in your your PhD? Sure. Yeah. So um, I've got quite a few studies in my PhD. So I start off with um, more of a um, a qualitative analysis, looking at um, grit is where I start, and like things around resilience. So I start by looking at um, Olympic swimmers. And looking at what makes them um, so kind of mentally tough, I suppose, and learning some lessons from them as well. But of course, when you interview an Olympian, you say, you know, can you, you know, you you you've maxed out my scale of being mentally tough. And they say, right, yeah, maxed it out. You know, I'm five out of five for mental toughness or resilience. And you say to them, well, do you think you could still improve on your level of mental toughness? And they'll say, absolutely. I don't, I don't feel like I'm five out of five. So again. You know, creating scales and looking at um, you know better ways to measure athletes and people who are, who are very driven anyway, and then coming up with ways to support others who may potentially be not as driven or perhaps they haven't quite found their purpose or meaning. Which again is another is another kind of key thing is that you know we I found from the first paper that um, that individuals who are Olympians usually at a very young age say this is it, this is me, this is what I want to do. And they know why. So they'll say, I'm doing it because it's going to benefit my family. And I was doing it because it's going to benefit my, you know, my grandchildren. Saying, but you're only 11 years old. How can you have that thought when you're 11? So actually having that deeper um, thought at that very young age is really interesting. Not not that, you know, and again, when I work in schools now and do, do various things with youngsters, you know, and even with adults, to be honest, as well. And you say to an adult, What's your what's your passion? What's your purpose? People generally may not know. So again, it's trying to really examine those areas and looking at where where purpose lies. Um, and I think that people generally confuse purpose with meaning. So I would see them as very different factors. So purpose, for example, would be, um, you know, what what beyond me am I doing this for? Like, who else is it going to benefit? What's the wider kind of goal? And the meaning is, why does it matter to me? How, what, why is it important to, to me right now? So I think having those two very, um, you know, looking at those two words and personifying those words creates action. And that's really where the, 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 the research projects have gone, is looking at how can we look at purpose? How can, we, how can we teach people to use imagery in a way which is hugely focused on purpose? And then bring it back to why is it important to you based on meaning? And then what can you do immediately? What can you do right now to then focus on, you know, taking a first step or a second step and really changing behavior or maintaining what you're doing? So, again, you know, those areas are really important. But primarily, that was the the kind of the the, the, the takeaway from the first paper. Um, 
yeah, so that's the kind of journey. I, 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 like you know, uh, interviewing people and then um, a lots of empirical studies as well, looking at um, looking at data analysis of uh, big groups. So again, looking at near near four hundred athletes um, and all across different levels, from you know elite down to uh, the non-elite youngsters, um, and you know what are the differences between uh, it could be between purpose and meaning, but also things like imagery for us were really important. We know that uh, elite athletes are using imagery a great deal, and young athletes um, are not so. So again, we can teach those youngsters how to use imagery to then try to um, yeah, benefit them in a way which is uh, well, we'll get them through challenges. Um, and, and now where I am now in terms of the research is we're, we're across lots of different areas. So, um, you know, we work in healthcare with individuals who um, know that they should exercise, but are just not motivated. So again, looking at, you know, that, that kind of, you know, people often come to us and say, I've tried it before and it hasn't really worked. So then we can use some of these ideas around using imagery to really support people to stick to goals. So that's the really that's the real takeaway from a lot of the research that I've done. I did historically in my PhD is, you know, how can we get people to stick um, to their goal and and appreciate it's going to be tough. Like doing a PhD, if you've thought about the hard work and how tough it's going to be, and probably the conversation you've had with yourself about wanting to quit, because it happens to us all, you know, maybe it's not right for me. Maybe I can't do this stuff. Maybe these conversations, if you have them right at the start, and you um, and you accept that that's part of the process and then almost restructuring what that thought will go like. So planning ahead. Well, at that point, I'm aware of that. But what I'm going to say to myself at that point is I'm going to say, look, you've worked hard to get here. You know, it's going to be worthwhile in the end. What's Who's it going to impact beyond me? Why is it important to me? And what can I currently do? And that's generally the model that we've used to work with individuals off the back of the PhD, but also off the back of a load of applied work beyond it as well. And and about imagery training, usually it's people think that it's more about practicing, like thinking about the technique or thinking about the how the event will go, how is the kind of preparing for a competition. How How is it in research and in practice about imagery how much is it about technique and preparation and how much is it is it about purpose and meaning okay so um if, if you focus so you're talking about two things so we've got so imagery we can split into a couple of things first off we've got cognitive imagery so cognitive imagery as we know it is technical factors you know if you're a diver and you're focusing on your foot position and feeling your your weight go forwards as you as you dive off the board and the kinesthetics, the movement, this is cognitive imagery. The other side as well is motivational imagery. And motivational imagery is hugely important because we know that that's the side that has the purpose and the meaning. That's the side that is um, going to get you to stick to various tasks because it has real emotive, um, passionate, uh, harmonious way of working as well. So we need to combine those two areas the cognitive imagery and the motivational imagery for behavior to stick. So we know that if you're focusing mostly on cognitive imagery, it'll be hugely beneficial for your task. So if you're a diver again, it'll help you with your diving pattern. It'll help you with your performance. It, it, and again, you can, in, you know, in your headspace, you can pause it and rewind it and, and focus on, you know, uh, the right position. 
But we want to also focus on that motivational part as well. So why is it important for you to do it? How does it feel um, when you complete a successful dive? On the other side, which people don't usually talk about, which is what's it like if you don't do it, if you if you fail, you know? And um, for us, failure is is a very um, uh, important word to, to look at because it's because struggle, um, people don't talk about struggle. They don't say, you know, hey, Ollie, I had a great struggle yesterday. Oh, John, what were you struggle about? That's not a conversation people generally have, but we should have it because struggle means that we are working hard. We are passionate about something. We're investing effort and struggle is, um, you know, is a word which we need to be praised for because we know that when we struggle at something, uh, it's got a meaning to it. So those conversations that uh, I would have with players, with athletes, with businessmen are about, you know, what are you struggling with? Why are you struggling with this? Or even in the gym, you know, when we work with clients in the gym, we think about, you know, yeah, it's going to be a struggle. To get to get fit, to lose weight to get healthy to, these are all going to be struggles cool that's amazing it means that you're working on something that means something to you so let's work let's let's play that out together so again having these conversations are really important on this cognitive and motivational side um, and what we do with individuals is we add layers to how they use imagery so that we assess them first um, and then we would train them their ability to use imagery yeah i think that's important important and interesting point i think many times athletes try to do imagery only for successful things and i think that's kind of a guideline that you just succeed all the time so do you see benefit going through in your imagery failing kind of the repetitions or anything or failing the whole olympics do you, do you see it practical do you see it useful this is it this is this is um there, there are never any secrets in in research but this this is this is the this is the x factor for us is that what we do is we use a lot of a lot, lot of um uh mental contrasting between what does it feel like to fail okay so you know it, uh, let, let's give an example of like a weight loss client so, you know, if I don't lose the weight, I, I I know what that feeling is like. It feels uncomfortable. It feels awful. I feel like I put effort in. I tried really hard, but I've let myself down. Where would you be when you when you you know when 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 you're feeling that? Like, what's the timeline like? It's a year on. I haven't really made any changes. I look at the scales. They're still the same. I think you know how is this going to impact my ability to to go on holiday with my with with my uh, grandkids with my kids. You know how much energy do I feel like I've got? Well, not a great deal. So we get them to have that experience, and then we say, right, now that you've had that experience, let's turn the tables around slightly. How does it feel like to have succeeded, to have got got that goal, to have, you know, you're on holiday now with the grandkids, and they're playing around with you, and what are you doing? How do you feel? And I feel, you know, I I don't feel like I have lost a great deal of weight, but I feel a lot healthier. I feel like you know, like like I'm me again. I feel like, you know, so again, this point of mentally contrasting the negative emotion with the positive emotion motivates, um, amplifies motivation. This is the this is the this is the key point. And that point when we talk about like read a lot of motivational interviewing, and with motivational interviewing in mind, this is the evoke stage. We are evoking motivation to the nth degree we are 
focus we, we, we are really spending our, our our energy increasing motivation by in, evoking this ability to to change and when you do that also it feels closer than it really is so you know if you think about long-term goals a year away feels like oh gosh a year of hard work of whatever god that feels like it's in a, in a real distance um but what we do is we get people to experience the future right now and that and that timeline decreases and it feels like a reality and that reality increases motivation but also what we know is working with athletes if we don't experience those negative thoughts they will come anyway but they'll come informally they will come as a spontaneous intrusive thought which we all have of course that pop into our heads that we you know we try to say no we don't, we don't want to elaborate on it in detail and we divert attention in a way but what we need to do is really focus on that thought that's fine to have a negative thought and then of course logically go through well what are you doing now to actually help a future you what are you currently doing to you know to and this is this is this kind of then merges onto cbt in a way although you're your own therapist in a, in a, in a, in a strange um paradox but this is it you know and people often say to me about fit and they say functional imagery training what approaches are you using? Like, it seems quite holistic. Well, yeah, because it's person-centered. We're talking about individual goals. I'm not going to plan for you. You're going to plan for you because, you know, I don't know what could work and you need to, you know, come up with your own ideas. Um, we're using CBT in a way, of course, as well. Um, we are using, you know, ACT, you know, acceptance commitment therapy. We're using this as well to think, say, you know, we're going to commit to our goals, but, you know, this is where we are, so the reality of where we are. Um, you know, we, we, we're using a great deal. We, you know, there are parts as well that we, we use which are more uh, mindfulness-based. Um, you know, we're looking at elaboration intrusion theory. So there's loads of things that we're focusing in on that we we use. And that's how psychology should be run. It should be holistic. It should be mer a merging of lots of different approaches for us. Um, and also it should be focused on mastery. So we always look at mastery based on your learning to upskill your ability to use imagery whilst also getting better at the technical elements or the tactical elements or, you know, just, just the self-acceptance and understanding of where you currently are. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.